This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're listening to The Property Show on the morning run and I'm Philip C., on today's property show, we are in conversation with Ahila Gunnison, Director of Strategy and Development for Think City, an organization focused on urban solutions, the environment, social communities, and the cultural economy. Now, we are here with her today because we want to get her perspective on the recently published report on understanding women's perception and experience of safety in downtown Kuala Lumpur. I have to say, this report that was published, Understanding Women's Perception and Experience of Safety in Downtown Kuala Lumpur did get quite a lot of coverage here from NGOs and community leaders, with many of them overwhelmingly supporting this report. Why has this report drawn so much attention among the broader public? I guess it's because it's an issue that resonates with civil society organisations in the community. Um, You're looking at a perception of safety for 50% of the population that is going to be looking at using these spaces. So when we think about how we use these spaces, when we think about uh, our wives, mothers, daughters, aunts, how they are using the spaces, I think it is high time that we start having this conversation. And I think that it is great that the media is picking it up because clearly it resonates with them. And we are happy to engage with anybody who who wants to have a chat with us about this because there is a lack of understanding perhaps and a lack of these little nuanced differences between what men see as safety versus what women see as safety in public spaces. How do we reconcile perception and reality? Because, we know, we talk about women needing to feel safe. How, mm-hmm. how do you kind of reconcile the need for feeling safe versus actual safety? Okay, so it goes hand in hand. It goes hand in hand. To have that feeling of safety so that you can walk about confidently, you actually need to have some changes that are physically made to the spaces. Okay, so when we look at uh, how we would want to do it, it's actually quite simple little infrastructure changes that come into place. Uh, Sight lines that are clear that you can see down a space where you don't see any dark little uh, corners where people could be hiding. Right. It's simple things like that. Well lit areas. These are all infrastructure changes, right? Not not big mind shift changes, but infrastructure changes that help with the mind shift changes that will come in its place. So these are like some of the small little things that can be done. And then there's also surveillance. Surveillance could be surveillance cameras. It could be people on the ground as surveillance and areas which are are places where people gather are always generally more safe because you've got what's called eye on the street, right? And you've got people there, you feel the sense of safety. Now, it's also very different, yeah? Uh, Because if you say there's a lot of people in a place you feel safe, it really depends on the type of people as well. It's not just 
it's not just so if you if I was a lone woman walking in a place where it was all men, I would not feel safe. I, right? I think that's yeah, I think that's very interesting, right? Because you are highlight highlighting, I think, a couple of recommendations which I thought were very which sound intuitive, right? Having that mm-hmm. clear line of sight. Exactly. You talk about better lighting. It sounds very intuitive. Why are we so finding it so difficult to implement these things, right? I can get a sense that it sounds natural to do it to find and create places where people congregate the right kind of segments, congregate to have line of sight, to have better walkways, to have better lighting. Why is it that there's so much inertia to get some of these relatively easier interventions done? Well, I don't I don't think it's inertia. I think there is, uh, it, 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 okay, it, it goes hand in hand. It's not just about making the lines of sight available. It's not just about getting la- proper lighting in place. There's also, the onus is also on the people to respect the spaces in which they interact with, right? And that is to make sure your public spaces are not vandalized. I'll give you an example. Uh, one of The report shows how um, one of the areas where it's badly maintained, be it areas where there's a lot of rubbish that are thrown overflowing, and also areas where there are potholes or perhaps, uh, you know, your tiles that are out of place and things like that, which people feel is dangerous. And the danger there is predominantly from women, because if you are walking that area and you needed to run, these are impediments for you to actually have to run. And that comes also from the people. So little things like this happen because perhaps a motorbike is parking where it shouldn't be parking on the road and not on the pavement. You know, it could be stuff like that. It could be the way people throw rubbish where they don't exactly do it in a way which is uh, which is appropriate for the spaces that are provided. So it goes both ways. It's not just the governing bodies or the city council that have to work towards this. Obviously, they have to, maintenance-wise. But people need to also yeah. start looking at spaces, public spaces, and treating it as our space instead of saying, you know, you, you know, you, you, the way you would treat your home needs to go out as well. Yeah, I mean, you're pointing about the whole need for civic mindedness, right? To be conscientious exactly. in broader society yeah. here. And, and this is going to be a hard slog. Let's just, uh, let's just not yeah. dispute that, right? <laughs> to change yes. how yes. society thinks and, you know, builds civic mindedness will be a hard slog. But can we just yes. come back to the survey that was conducted? How, how was yeah. the survey conducted? What was the logic behind it? So uh, when we looked at the survey, right, we needed something which had a balanced representation. Presentation. So we did a, how do we come about recruiting the participants? So we had a general call on Think City social media. We had distribution of flyers and posters around the study area, area which we had determined as downtown KL. And then we looked at targeted emails to stakeholders and community leaders. So this was how we were looking at balanced representation. Then we divided participants into three focus groups and they were like working Malaysian professionals who use downtown KL spaces and then you had migrant women as well as Malaysian youth and you know the the age of the uh, of, of these ladies they they went from 19 to 41 years old so we had a sampling uh, of people that we talked to and the way we went about it is that we actually not only did surveys we got them to also walk the streets later in the day uh, uh, usually after 7 p.m bearing in mind that a lot of these ladies had families that they needed to get back to after work so essentially we walked the streets with them we got them to take pictures of what are the areas they felt unsafe in. And then we had workshops with them to understand, got them to rank the areas. And then it, only then did we come up with uh, solutions. 
I love the idea that you, that you got them to experience it and taking pictures was from their lens, wasn't it? Yes, it was from their lens. So when they said things like, look, I don't feel safe in this particular space because uh, there are many, level, uh, many levels of not feeling safe. The senses, right? Because you have five senses. It's not just sight. Some of it was sensory in terms of smells, okay? So there were positive smells and negative smells. Hmm. When they passed by a temple and they could smell the... Uh, you know, the smell of ghee and oil, they felt very comforted. They felt they were in a safe place. But in areas where they passed by rubbish dumps, which had stenches, a stench, and you know, when you look at it from the perspective of how it looks, how it smells, they didn't feel safe because they also felt like things like broken bottles would probably lead to places where you know you could find strangers, so you could have drug addicts there. So again, it's not that there were drug addicts there. But the possibility, the perception that yeah. there could be is what bothers people. I think the survey did remind us about the yeah. need to be engaged on all five senses, right? We always tend to think about the audio, the visual senses, but we forget yes. about, you know, our smell as well. Yes. And and this is what also struck me from the report, right? I think the key highlight number was that 27.6% of females perceived public spaces negatively. You contrast that to males, just 9.3%. What a significant gap of perception that was. Were you surprised by that? Well, you know, not really. That That's because I come from a female's perspective, right? So for me, I'm not... Did you thought it was too low, actually? You are. Yeah, <laughs> but, I was surprised, yeah. right? Actually, do you think it was too low? Well, in a way, perhaps it was a bit low. But uh, again, I think that when we did the uh, the survey and then we drilled into it with questions, then you found that there was a shift because there's a difference between daytime versus nighttime, the sense of safety. Again, usually during the day, you would feel a lot safer compared to at night. So I think that this survey, which was done by Hidayati in 2020, this is the findings from there. But at the end of the day, uh, perception is something that is innate to each individual and males and females perceive things differently. Okay, it is as simple as that. And what I would uh, think of as a place which is not very safe might not really bother a male counterpart. Right. right. So that's 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 natural. That's natural. There's nothing diff, nothing strange about it. There's nothing wrong about it. But it's just a very nuanced difference between what men and women perceive as safety. So that's that's the thing. Yeah. And when you looked at the gaps, right, on the perceptions here, you were already touching on the dimensions of the day and night where, you know, there was yes. a wider perception, especially of fear at night. Uh, did you see any other ways of slicing and dicing data where you saw perceptions were much wider across other dimensions then? You know, one of the key things that struck me personally about it is that even within women, their perceptions were different, right? Mm. So for instance, uh, migrant women versus local women. So if you are walking in a space and uh, it is a dark alley, if a local woman saw a policeman, they feel a bit more safer. Now with a migrant woman, it was the reverse. When they were in a dark alleyway, when they saw a policeman, they felt unsafe. They felt safer in a group of men of their own ethnicity compared to a policeman, a law enforcement person, right? And that is the complete reverse of what uh, local women feel. So, I mean, these are the little details and nuances that you pick up that men and women are different, but even within women, 
there is such a variety of what we perceive uh, as areas where we feel fear. Exactly. Right? It, so. it, it also just goes to show that women within the same group are all very different, have different perspectives as well. And it also goes by age, yeah? Because I can tell you that when I was a teenager, I was a hell of a lot braver <laughs> than I am now. So, I mean, and I think that comes with, you know, being young and having a lot mm. more hubris when you're young. So, um, yeah, I think that, that that's the way I see it as well, you know? So this is why when you're young, your parents will tell you, and it doesn't matter whether it's your father, your mother, both of them have told you make sure you stay safe don't walk in dark alleyways make sure there's sufficient lighting don't come back home too late you don't get this as a boy yeah. growing up in a family you know there's never like don't come home too late because it's not safe out there it's more like don't come home too late because you've got to be responsible that kind of thing it's very different I echo that because I have a sister and we both had different we had the same advice but for Absolutely. different intentions and rationales today I'm in conversation with Ahila Ganison, Director of Strategy and Development for Think City as we discuss the most recent report on understanding women's perception and experience of safety in downtown Kuala Lumpur. We'll be back with more after these messages. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. and with me today is Ahila Ganison, Director of Strategy and Development for Think City on their recent report, Understanding Women's Perception and Experience of Safety in Downtown Kuala Lumpur. Now, Ahila, we, we've talked quite extensively about the report, what it said about KL. Perhaps can you share how does KL rank, you know, versus other cities in terms of safety, perception of safety for women? Okay, um, perception of safety when it comes to KL, there is a Safe Cities Index in 2021 that was released, which ranks Kuala Lumpur as 32nd, which is slightly better than where it ranked in 2019, which was 35th position. So there is improvement, but uh, I don't think that we can actually go just by that. There's no global Safe Cities indexing at this moment in time, but I think that uh, uh, developing countries and developed countries are at very different stages of their yeah. city's life cycle, if you will. Right. So one of the examples that we gave in our report as well, which is Vienna, um, they are leaders when it comes to gender mainstreaming right, and policies with city planning. And, and this since 1992. We have started the conversation in, in Kuala, uh, Kuala Lumpur. We have started the conversation in Malaysia. You've got cities like you know, in Selangor that are already implementing this. In Penang, you also have gender policies that are in place when you're looking at planning of cities. So we are going in the right direction. Yes, it's nascent, but the conversation has started. So that gives me a lot of hope. And uh, it also gives me sort of focus on how how we should go about planning cities for the future. I want to bring this conversation about how we get these conversations going. Uh, because we talk about top-down versus bottom-up, where, you know, it's very important to make sure that conversations are happening at the top-down, which is how yeah. we plan the city, how we structure it and future-proof it. It's also this whole bottom-up work, right? How do we as civil society communities also drive that? And now in Think City, you actually have launched a whole series of programs in trying to get the community in place, right, with your Safe Safety program in 2017. How effective have these programs been in driving conversation and awareness? Well, I think they've been pretty successful. I mean, that's my personal opinion, of course. But but if you look at it, the, the news outlets have picked it up. Uh, we are sitting here today talking and I think the conversation has started. So I, I can't say that uh, the conversation hasn't started. And look, when we look at the work that Think City does uh, in terms of making places safer, not just for women, 
right, for everyone. Some of the laneway projects that we have done with DBKL as well as with other city councils, these are, again, engaging with stakeholders, the community as well as city councils. It, obviously, it is not just a top-down or bottom-up approach. It, there is a midway point where we can meet. And Think City is happy to play this role where we are bringing the two sides together. Mm. So I think that that's where we succeed and that's where we do, uh, do good as well in this. And there's always hope that things can go bigger and scale up our efforts can scale up and we are happy to engage with anyone who would want to work with us with Do, this in mind engaging yeah, the community and I'm sure you have to also engage with businesses and I wonder in my mind right in coming up with solutions right do you think it's worthwhile helping women chart out the best possible p- routes or pathways to get to their destination which they feel safest but if we tend to do those kind of things then we kind of sidestep the issue isn't it of addressing where the unsafe places are what's your take in terms of creating like the safest pathways for women to move from one point to the other versus you in civil society, NGOs and government addressing the the areas which are dark and unfriendly and unsafe at the moment? I think you can do that. Uh, Absolutely. So it is more of a stopgap measure, right? What we are looking at while you're addressing all these areas that need to be addressed because a city needs to be planned holistically. It cannot be just that, okay, there's a problem there, but let's find, uh, you know, why don't you use this alternative route? But it needs to be planned holistically. to be safe for everyone, not just for women. So it could be a stopgap measure where women use certain routes that get them from point A to point B. But uh, is it going to be enough for me? No, I think it needs to be a holistic approach because by and large, women are already doing it. Yeah. And if you if you look at the report, um, they have a tendency to also switch up the way they go from point A to point B from time to time because they don't want people to know that they're using the same route every day because that could also be a safety issue, right? Because you're always, you have a very, uh, you know, very, um, the, the way your movement are very... You don't want to be predictable, right? That's the key. Yeah, too predictable. So yeah. you want to break away from the predictability because it becomes a safety concern. So um, planning a way which is brightly lit, absolutely, but that's a stopgap measure. I think the city still needs to work on a holistic uh, measure of how to deal with this. And that's not just for the betterment of women. It's for the betterment of businesses who are on the street because then you get more traffic, right? More footfall Absolutely. to your businesses. And it's also for the betterment of society in general because there will be a mindset shift as well. So let's talk about actions then. The report does mention that, you know, safety and the perception of safety is an extremely nuanced topic. But you did outline three broad recommendations, right? I think the three, first one, people and community. Second, design and infrastructure. And third, maintenance. We actually covered those three in certain elements uh, in the past conversations we've had so far. What are the top three things we must do now? Gosh, I think we have already started. Uh, One is the discourse of it, right? And uh, we are starting the discourse now, which means that there is an awareness. So first of all, uh, the, the awareness needs to be raised, right? Among not just people in power, but people on the ground, not just civil society, but regular folks out there using the spaces. So for me, that would be the first thing. You need to create the awareness. Once the awareness is up, then we need to start looking at what are the areas of interventions that we can have in order to make the spaces better. And that could be down to, again, the the hardcore part of it, which is the maintenance of our uh, 
uh, you know, our cities, uh, making sure that rubbish is collected, making sure that potholes are covered and, and, and things like that. And it's not just the role of government to do this, because no matter how much you do that and how fast the government does that, if society doesn't have a change in the mindset and the way they use the spaces and respect the spaces, you will never be able to fill the black hole that keeps needing to be filled, right, in terms of maintenance. So it is it is a three-part three, three part thing. You need to create the awareness, and then there needs to be the intervention from people in power, but there needs to be intervention and mindset shift from us regular people, and that comes with discourse. I wonder how do you facilitate this discourse, in my view, right? How do you get, and the question I'm more interested in is the governance side, in terms of, what do you let it become organic let it bubble up and you know just like hopefully it rises to a certain broth and then it kind of overflows or do you have to guide it and and drive it and if that's the case what kind of governance and institutions are required to make that work see i think it is not a one size fits all i think you need to do a you have to do it on both ways it's it has to be a two prong thing so you got to have the governance aspect where you have the various city councils involved you have the ministries involved looking at this so that that is that is in the very big picture governance level. But at the same time, uh, you need to have the push from regular people to get them to have it top of mind, right? So it works both ways because if we leave it be, it will simmer and and just stop. We need to continuously engage, and it could be through demonstrative sites after which you then publish the success, the before and after, which keeps the continuation of the conversation going. Or it could be engaging on policy matters as well. So Think City does it in many different fronts, not just in policy, but also in demonstrative sites like our laneways. So um, essentially, if more people took up arms in this and did similar interventions, then it will become top of mind for people in, in power as well, right? And, and not only that, you're helping them in a way because you're engaging with people who are creating the policies and you're engaging with communities and that helps both sides of the aisle. For sure. Uh, but when I just want to deep dive on the report, you know, there was also a recommendation because the report is focused on downtown Kuala Lumpur and so government here to a certain extent is very much DBKL. There was a recommendation to ensure that we did employ more gender mainstreaming experts and also to prioritise women's voices in city planning and design. Where are we in that? You know, where has the recruitment been so far? How have women been engaged in the overall city planning and design? Let's put it this way. DBKL is definitely supportive of gender equity efforts, okay? Uh, and this can be seen through their process of involving communities and key stakeholders. Obviously, there is a ways to go yet, but it's still encouraging, right? It's encouraging because the conversation has started and they are working with people in terms of trying to get the city itself, right? The, the hardcore city part of it, the infrastructure part of it, safe for people in general. Now, other cities have started already. While this study is for downtown KL, the study is not only specific to downtown KL because all cities have the same issues. Mm. It doesn't matter whether it's Penang or KL. The sense of high alert and fear that women face, is it is commonplace in most cities. So this study can actually be used in other cities to take up arms and to try to look at how we can do gender mainstreaming. Mm, but my, my concern is that, you know, we have these conversations, but if they're not backed up by action sooner, right, by the local mm 
authorities, then people might feel that these conversations are going nowhere and then they just lose steam, isn't it? That is a big concern, isn't it? That that you need to parallel also drive action here. And and the Absolutely. question here is really whether the action is to be driven by local authorities like DBKL or from bottom-up communities or from NGOs such as yourself. I think it's both ways. Again, I don't think it's a, it's not just one side. It takes two hands to clap, right? So it's it basically, it needs both sides. They are, in terms of local council, in terms of people in power, in terms of the policies they put in place, obviously, then it needs to be ramped up. There's no question about that. And this is not specific to DBKL. It is nationwide. It needs to be ramped up. But the pressure to move it in the right direction needs to come from the people. So again, uh, I would say that it needs both sides to uh, to, to continue this conversation. So it needs to continuously sort of like uh, simmer. It, the con- conversations need to happen and there will be a tipping point. It takes two hands to clap. That's all the time we have for today's property show. Thank you for being on the show, Ahila. I've been speaking to Ahila Gainesan, Director of Strategy and Development for Think City, over their latest report, Understanding Women's Perception and Experience of Safety in Downtown Kuala Lumpur, which can be downloaded at their website. I'm Philip C, signing off for The Morning Run. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.